This is Joseph L. Flatley, and you are listening to Failed State Update. I am here with my co-host, J.G. Michael, who just had a really interesting conversation with a guy named Douglas Horn. J.G., maybe you can give us a little background on Douglas Horn. So Douglas Horn is a really interesting figure. Uh, he's been involved in the sort of, I guess you would call it the JFK assassination research community, although he doesn't really, he doesn't deal with the JFK as much now. Now he writes about Pearl Harbor, and uh, he has some interesting takes on Pearl Harbor uh, that I, I think go against the mainstream narrative in some ways, but he's also not on the side of the sort of like, oh, it's all FDR's fault. I hate FDR crowd either. So he has really interesting views on that, but he's mainly known for JFK, and he was actually involved in uh, the Assassination Records Review Board, uh, which was created after, I believe, Oliver Stone's JFK, because you know there was this push. We need to get all the documents out about JFK. And I mean, there were people that supported this that didn't even believe that you know the Kennedy assassination was the result of a conspiracy. They thought, hey, we need more transparency, and this is a, sh- a way to show that we're going to be more transparent. The government's going to be more transparent. So he was very involved in the Assassination Records Review Board, and. What's fascinating to me about the ARRB is that they got a hold of documents that say a lot about U.S. foreign policy. So one of those documents is Operation Northwoods, which essentially is a false flag operation. It's a uh, proposal to essentially do these false flag attacks that would then be blamed on Cuba. So this was the Joint Chiefs of Staff making a proposal to President Kennedy. They never went through with it, but I think it is interesting that it was even proposed. It's really crazy that it's been proposed, and it really shows... I think it shows the the fervor of the sort of Cold War mindset that people within the establishment have. Yeah, the great lengths they were willing to go to. I mean, I guess you'll go into this with Douglas a little bit, but what was the actual plan as far as what was the false flag that, that they proposed generating? So Operation Northwoods... uh would have involved, you know, sinking boats of Cuban refugees and hijacking planes to be shot down and giving it the appearance of being shot down, uh, you know, blowing up a U.S. ship, things of that nature, and then blaming it on Cuba. Uh, That's essentially uh, what Operation Northwoods was. And the White House uh, shot it down. Yes. I think where where that comes into the possibility that JFK was assassinated by members of his own government is, like you said, it shows the fervor of the Cold Warrior. And the argument is that people in the in the United States government, in the Pentagon, Joint Chiefs of Staff, CIA, are engaging in assassinations abroad. They're able to do something crazy like kill civilian targets to drag America into a war with Cuba, why wouldn't they go that next step and assassinate a president they don't agree with? My view is that things like the ARRB were actually really good. It's good that we had the Assassination Records Review Board. It's good that we're having a lot of these documents declassified, because even if, you know, let's say it turns out beyond a shadow of a doubt that Oswald shot Kennedy and it was just him and that's all it was. I think it's good that we have documents released that can give us an insight into the foreign policy of the U.S. during the Vietnam War era, during the Kennedy administration. I think that we gain insight from the documents that the Assassination Records Review Board were able to get released. Uh, So it's weird because 
to me, the story of this interview and the way I wanted to approach it was that, you know, regardless of what you think of the assassination, in a weird way, all the activism pushing for transparency in the release of documents uh, actually helps with our knowledge of the Cold War. It's no small thing to attempt or to propose this kind of false flag operation. So, I mean, it is showing something extreme and disturbing about our government. It's just not necessarily perhaps what the JFK assassination research community thinks that they were going to be getting. Yeah, I think that sums it up uh, quite well. In 1992, after a lot of debate, the Congress enacted a law called the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act. And it's a mouthful. So the the short version of that is the JFK Records Act. And that was uh, after debate finally passed in October of 1992. Now, there's two things I would mention about the background. The, the, The immediate stimulus for that act for the government to release records that were still classified about the assassination was the Oliver Stone movie, JFK, which had, uh, on the one hand, it uh, energized activists and independent JFK assassination researchers uh, into saying, hey, somebody finally told the truth. We had a coup in this country. And of course, it really angered the establishment. And so the, the motivation of, I would say, most of the people in Congress who supported the JFK Records Act, their motivation was not the same motivation that JFK researchers had for supporting the act. They were more interested in transparency and that, that that's what they claimed was the, the reason. They wanted uh, apparent transparency in government and they thought that release of previously classified records would kill and destroy many uh assassination conspiracy uh, theories. So uh, people like John Glenn and David Boren, uh, both senators of, from different sides of the aisle, they both supported the act because they thought it would uh, put, to, put to the death uh, ridiculous conspiracy theories and that openness in government was in general a good thing. So it sounds like there may have been a, a tension between uh, people who believed that uh, there was a conspiracy uh, to kill Kennedy and people who were mainly interested in the uh, documents being released for reasons of, uh, you know, opposing government secrecy. Uh, do you think in the end, both sides sort of came together in a positive way? Yes, uh, there was tension. Actually, there was a lot of tension on between certain members of the staff. The staff was small. It was 25 people or less at various times. Uh So there was tension, uh, but the board members were so aggressive in releasing records that it ended up not really mattering that much what their personal belief systems or what their biases were when they came to their job as board members, uh, because they allowed us to do the depositions, to play in our sandbox. That's me and the general counsel, Jeremy Gunn. They allowed us to do the medical deposition. They allowed Jeremy Gunn to do, uh, I think it was at least three Mexico City CIA deposition. So they allowed us to do things to clarify the record. We were not empowered. We were not empowered by the law, by the JFK Records Act, to come up with new findings of fact or conclusions about the assassination. 
And because we were not allowed to do those things, they're really, we, we were able to come together because the review board members wanted to aggressively release as many records as they could within the terms of the law, the JFK Records Act. You remember, this was the first exercise in citizen review of government classified records, where the final decision on declassification would be done by a panel of private citizens and their staff, not by the agencies themselves. So this was a groundbreaking exercise. And uh, so everybody on the staff, I think, was satisfied with the records that the board decided to release. And I don't know of anybody that had serious heartburn that the board uh, redacted a few records here and there, you know, upheld redactions, because it was always related to sources and methods. Uh, it was never related to embarrassment of an agency or anything, or withholding the story of what happened. It was not, none of that. There was nothing withheld for that, for those reasons. Uh, there were four or five of us who were intensely curious about all the conflicts in the record. The, the whole case is filled with conflicts. Which evidence do you believe the most? Uh, which evidence do you discard as being unworthy of belief? Uh, so uh, there, there were conflicts among staff members uh, and uh, some of the staff members thought we were making mistakes to take depositions of medical witnesses and CIA witnesses years later, uh, but they lost. And the board members approved those actions and the executive director and the general counsel approved those actions. So some of those uh, sour grapes people uh, left. In the end, uh, the five board members and the staff ended up working together pretty well. And we did come together to release the maximum of what we could release and to find the maximum of what was there to find. I think this really was a milestone, the ARB. And I guess uh, getting into the Northwoods documents, I, I guess where I want to start is how did the ARRB uh, decide what would count as, as a record that should be released? Over the course of my first year on the staff, remember I was there for years two, three, and four, uh, Jeremy Gunn, who's the head of, Jeremy Gunn was the head of research and analysis of all the analysts on the staff. And most of the staff were analysts, about two thirds of us. And uh, so Jeremy Gunn and members of each, each of his four teams, I was on the military team. There was a CIA records team. There was an FBI records team. And the fourth team was all others. All others included Secret Service, uh, US Information Agency and other things. So. Those people from those teams and Jeremy Gunn cobbled out letters that uh, we would send to different agencies saying, we define an assassination record this way. You've already turned records over to the archives starting in 1993, but we think your searches were very narrow and weren't broad enough. So this is how we define an assassination record. And we want you to reconduct all your searches and submit records with a broader net, having cast a broader net either to the archives, if you release them in full, or if you want to withhold some of them, you have to give them to us and we will make the final decisions on what gets released and what doesn't. So in my case, in the case of the Pentagon, I, I use the term broadly, the Pentagon, uh, I was, uh, I and uh, 
two other people on the military records team worked with Jeremy Gunn to set the criteria that we gave to the Pentagon, the Office of Secretary of Defense General Counsel. We set the criteria for their search. And they did probably less than any of these agencies in the first year. They hadn't done anything. And then uh, that was before I showed up. And then even half halfway into my first year, the Pentagon wasn't forthcoming with anything. They, I don't think they took it seriously. So, uh, and that's unacceptable for two reasons. One is that, you know, the, the accused assassin, what uh, most researchers view as the patsy, just what he said he was, was in the military and then defected to the Soviet Union and then came back and wasn't prosecuted. So he uh, his records would have been great importance. And then the autopsy is a military autopsy on the body of the deceased president. And there are so many questions on the autopsy that I, I just can't go into them today. I mean, it's it's the biggest mess I've ever seen in my life. So that's two reasons right there to want the military to come forward with records. Also, because as Senator Schweikert was on the uh, church committee in the Senate in the mid-1970s. And remember, the church committee came right before the House Select Committee on Assassinations. So it's the church committee that revealed CIA plots to kill foreign leaders, especially Castro. It's the church committee that revealed CIA working with the mafia to kill foreign leaders, especially Castro. And so one of the members of the, a subcommittee on the church committee, Senator Schweiker of Pennsylvania, said that Oswald, the former defector and accused assassin, had the fingerprints of intelligence all over him, all over his career, all over his defection, all over the way he returned to the United States. So that's another reason why you want the Pentagon to be responsive. So what we told them uh, we, we cobbled together this massive letter and we hand delivered it in person over at the Pentagon in uh, 1996, saying, uh, sorry, we don't think you've been responsive yet. And these are the elaborate criteria we've set up for you and handed them the letter. They had 19 people there in that room. Unbelievable. We had four. <laughs> so we were outnumbered, but we had the law on our side and, and our general counsel and head of research, Jeremy Gunn, made the presentation. So, I mean, they had to listen to him because he's talking to other lawyers. They had to listen to him. He's citing the law the whole time. So we told them any records relating to Oswald, of course, we want them. Uh, we will want service records of a lot of people that had contact with Oswald when he was in the Marine Corps, which we got. We told them in general, anything related to Cuba policy from 1960 to 64, or to Vietnam policy from 1960 to 64, we will define as an assassination record because under certain biases or interpretations of history, those records could be considered, quote, reasonably related, unquote, to the assassination. If the president was not killed by a lone nut, then those policies could be reasonably related to his death. So that's how we expanded the definition of an assassination record. A lot of the documents you're getting from this relate to foreign policy towards Cuba, as you said, and also uh, the, just the Vietnam era in general. So uh, regardless, outside of the assassination, we're learning a lot about foreign policy history that we didn't know before the ARRB. 
So I would say the biggest record on Vietnam that was uncovered was the full meeting minutes, you know, over 200 pages of the fifth. Wait a minute. Might have been the eighth. Anyway, it was the Secretary of Defense Conference on Vietnam held in Saigon in May 63. So all we had up until this time, historians, was a three and a half or four page summary of what happened at that conference written by a Navy uh, rear admiral. So we we were able to get the Pentagon to turn over to us the complete set of meeting, meeting minutes. And it really fleshed out that previous summary and proved that, uh, you know, as of May 63, McNamara, on behalf of the president, is telling the people at this meeting, we are going to pull all of our forces out by the end of 65, and we are going to pull out 1,000 men by the end of this year, you know, confirming that. Uh, and, of course, Kennedy didn't get that, that formal order as an order until October of 63. But McNamara is telling this, them this at the meeting and getting the full set of minutes confirmed uh, what other people had said. It confirmed it as a fact. So uh, that was uh, an important Vietnam document. And then on Cuba, it was a gold mine. Uh, more documents than you can ever imagine about uh, dirty tricks, covert operations, economic warfare, psychological warfare, and then this monster that was in the closet and nobody knew anything about called Operation Northwoods, which is it's probably a good time to launch into how that was generated back in 1962, because it's, it's a March 13, 1962 letter. It's a 12-page letter sent from Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Lyman Lunitzer, probably Kennedy's biggest opponent in the Pentagon. They hated each other, not only personally, but for reasons of policy. I mean, that's what led to them personally not liking each other was the policy disagreements. Uh, so that it's a uh, it's a cover letter with 12 pages of attachments sent on March 13th, 1962, from Lyman Lemnitzer to the Secretary of Defense, Robert McNamara. And it's interesting. Uh, it would be interesting next if I, before we describe what's in the document, if I describe who stimulated it and how it came about. 